In Session with Dr. Farid Hulaku. Good afternoon. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tulakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Again, the studio number 310-441-0555. The book of the week for this week is Algorithms to Live By, uh, The Computer Science of Human Decisions by uh, Brian Christian and Tom Griffiths. Algorithms to Live By, The Computer Science of Human Decisions. I'm only... I think about 10, 15 pages in. Seems pretty interesting looking at what we can learn from um, algorithms about human decision making. Uh, Seems to be an interesting read. So look forward to finishing that up and sharing it with you on next Monday's show. Before I begin, also wanted to mention in the previous hours here on Radio Hamra, my father was experiencing some technical difficulties. So I got a few calls uh, or messages from people who were concerned because they didn't hear him doing his show. But it was technical difficulties. He's doing just fine. So uh, thank you for your care and concern. He's doing all right. Uh, and also to start the show today, I'll be being joined by a guest who I'll bring on shortly. So at Radio Hamra now for, I think it's five years, because of my guest, Susie Khatami, who I'll bring on, we have been involved with the UCLA Mattel Children's Hospital, which is close to, even though we've moved, we're still close to the hospital here in Westwood in Los Angeles. And we have been gathering toys for the children who sadly have to be there during the holidays because of illnesses or, and treatments that they are, are dealing with or having. And so Susie has very generously and graciously done the work to connect us with them to do this toy drive every year and people have either hand delivered their toys here to the Radio Hamra offices or sent them in and we've been touched by people's generosity to take the time to get a gift and also to mail it in or bring it in themselves to make sure that it gets into the hands of a child during this holiday season and it's been very touching for me to see that generosity. Now this year being 2020, everything has been a little bit different with the coronavirus, and so we are unable to do it in the same way. But Suzy Khatami has done the work to find another way of, of doing that this year. And so I'll bring her on to share how we're going to be doing a Corona Christmas toy drive this year because of uh, the pandemic. So let me bring her on now. Please welcome to the show, Suzy Khatami. Suzy Jun, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Harry John, on your most popular show at Radio <laughs> Hamra, if I may say so. Adult, thank you. And uh, first of all, let me thank you for being on Live with Susie last week. And a lot of people totally loved seeing you and talking with us on my show on that end, uh, which goes all over social media podcasting. 
and I'm so grateful and thankful that you allow me to actually uh, use your uh, platform talking to a lot of your listeners and let them know in case they're interested to help with our yearly toy drive to do so. And as you um, absolutely rightly so mentioned, of course, with the corona year and the pandemic this year, everything has changed to a different style and mode, and so is our toy drive. And so uh, when I got in touch with the hospital, Mattel Children's Hospital, uh, they told me the best way to help this year would be uh, via the Amazon um, link. Mm -hmm. And there's a wish list that is connected to the Mattel Children's Hospital. And first I thought, oh, my God, it's going to be maybe difficult for some of our listeners or viewerships. But then once I thought about it more and then when you and I discussed it, we realized, you know what? Maybe even we can get more people participate because mm -hmm. this way they don't have to buy the toy, go through the trouble of bringing it to the station, etc., etc. This way they just go, click it, and order whatever they want. So at the end, I think Corona has its own pluses and <laughs> advantages at times, and this is maybe one of them. So yes. it's way easier. And I've done my share. I know you've done yours. And plenty of people are already, I know, they contacted me and they said it's way easier and they're very appreciative. That's right. So there we are. Yes, uh, there we are. Yeah, thank you so much again. You have done the work to connect with um, UCLA Mattel Children's Hospital to create this, this opportunity for us all to be able to give. Um, as I mentioned on your show, I think people do want to give and and to do things for others. Oftentimes we don't know how or if there's some effort we might not do do that, but you've made it a lot easier for all of us that through a few clicks of a button you can um, give a gift to a child. And as you mentioned, um, I did it on last week and the gift arrived I think the next day and that was very nice. Uh, and the, the link is now in my Amazon, I'm uh, sorry, in my Instagram bio, I'll keep it up there. For, for a while as long as uh, the drive is going on. Uh, some people, including myself, had issues when they clicked the link and if it went into their Amazon app, you um, might not have get gotten the actual wish list. But if you put it into a browser or when I went through Instagram itself, I was able to get to the wish list and then you'll see a whole range of gifts for different ages um, and also of different prices. So if you, whatever you feel like you're comfortable giving, there are options for almost anyone, I think, to, to make some kind of a contribution. So I hope people will go ahead and, and do that. And as you said, as much as so many things have been harder this year, sometimes there are ways that a few things or some things can be a little bit more convenient. So I think it's nice that people can uh, conveniently uh, contribute in this way. Now, one thing that will be missing is I know every year you've done the, the hard work of getting all the gifts. And I say all because there usually is a whole you know, truck and van full of gifts and plus right. yeah. uh, and taking them to the hospital and getting to have that experience of dropping the, the toys off. So I know you won't get that experience this year, but we know that still, although we might not see it, the gifts will be getting to the hands of these kids. I know, but even years, uh, previous years, by John, the hospital would never allow me to actually go to the mm -hmm, wards mm -hmm. or floors or meet with the kids because of the, you know, they wanted to make sure they're all uh, safe and sound yes. in the hospital. So I would just have to meet with the staff um, on a lobby floor of the Mattel Children's Hospital and just uh, handed them to them and they would take care of the rest. However, I still miss that part. I still miss coming to the radio and it would have been a good excuse to meet all of you <laughs> also, mostly, and you know, pick up the toys, etc. But I'm happy that this year we can cover more so people because I remember the other night on your 
uh, show that you kindly put it on a Instagram live and I could uh, see and listen to you there were some uh, listeners of yours kindly even from Iran yes. at the time that you announced this that they already put a, a message to me saying we would like to help from mm. Iran so that told me there there we go you see things can get easier and um, you know I'm, I'm happy really to yeah. bring a smile to these kids who are actually in the hospital and cannot go home during the holiday time. Yeah. And thank you so much. Sure. No, thank you. I mean, uh, as you said, I, I was, uh, when I'm doing the live, I can't always see the comments. I try not to even actually look at them too much because I have to keep talking uh, on the radio. But uh, I got messages from so many people afterwards from around the world who wanted to participate. And so we were, again, touched by everyone's generosity and kindness. And in this way, hopefully it'll be easier if people want to contribute uh, on this project that we are, are doing. And so we're so happy to, to see that support. I'm not surprised um, because we've seen it in the years past, but again, now in a different form through, through this uh, wish list, people yes. can participate. But we wanted to thank you again on behalf of everyone here at Radio Hamra for allowing us to be a part of this uh, toy drive year after year. You do the work to make it easier for us to then just help out in some way. So I wanted to thank you for that. Wish you the best in the holiday season. And I'm sure we'll be collaborating on this again next year. My pleasure, Fari John. Many thanks uh, to you, your dad, and everyone else at the Radio Hamra who always kindly every year supported this Toy Drive project with me. I appreciate everyone's help. And please let's make sure people know how to get into that Amazon yes. link. Fari John, as he mentioned, he has it on his site. Mm -hmm. I have it on Live with Susie. So please make sure you can get into that and order your toys as you wish. Yes, and actually... Again, thank you for your time. Yes. Wishing you a happy, safe holiday. Thank you. And same to you, before I, I let you go, I actually didn't ask, how long does will this be going on till? Until when can people uh, access the wish list and contribute? I believe if I want to base it on uh, previous years, they normally do it up until maybe a few days before actual Christmas time because okay. I think the hospital staff need time to wrap them, mm -hmm. check them, wrap them, and then, um, you know, give it to the kids. So I, I wouldn't go all the way to yeah. December 25th. I'd, I'd maybe put 20, 21st of sure. December as a deadline, I think. It would make sense. That makes sense. Okay, well, I hope people will get on there uh, sooner than later in this week, uh, as soon as you can, again, on, on Live with Susie, or you can go to my Instagram page and see the link. Again, Susie, thank you so much. Hope you thank have a great you. day God and holiday. Today, we'll be in touch. Take care. Absolutely. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So we're, we're so happy to get to be involved with this project again. Uh, and I think, as I mentioned briefly, People do want to help others and give to others. And sometimes in this the holiday season, as we call it, people get even more in touch with that uh, generosity or that giving side, which is nice. Hopefully it's something we can keep year round. I do believe in the goodness of people that people do want to help others. It's just a lot of times it can be a little bit challenging or if we don't know how we can get involved, we, we don't know what to do. Also, at the end of the year, I know for many people at the time they make donations. I was looking at some charities to donate to, so I hope you will uh, consider what you can give. You know, when I ordered this gift online, a very small gift for, for this toy drive, um, it, I brought, it brought tears to my eyes thinking that this is going to go to some child. And the tears weren't just, oh, this is such a wonderful thing. I think it is good, but I think it was also uh, this feeling of sadness that, one, there are so many kids and others who need and are, are suffering and struggling 
in different ways and also that there's so much more that I can do personally that I don't do. So I, I, I took a small step and I'm glad I did that, but it was a reminder of how much more I can do and I think we all can do and being aware of that and taking uh, the the work it sometimes takes to make that happen. I hope we will do that. Uh, I always say that it's great to give your money if you can, but also to give your time. And this year, volunteering in person is a very different experience. I've done some of it, but it's been a different experience. But once we hopefully get back to closer to normal, I hope people will volunteer their time as well to serve others and to help others it's one of those ultimate win-wins where you will feel good about doing it and it's good for your mental health and well-being but also of course you'll be helping whoever it is that you're serving so an ultimate win-win and in that way it might seem like it's selfish but I think we can say some people will argue everything you do can be considered selfish because either it feels good even if it's sacrificing something whatever it is but it doesn't mean all things we do are equal if you steal from someone it's different from if you give from to someone so we can be mindful of how we can take advantage of doing things that feel good to us but also help others as well so a big thank you to Susie uh, again you can go to my uh, Instagram page the link is in my bio you click on the link if you're having some issues copy paste it into a browser it'll get you there but it shouldn't be be too difficult and the address it'll give you will be the UCLA Mattel Children's Hospital all right let's go to our first Commercial break, studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Welcome back, studio number 3104410555. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, thanks for calling. Thank you for having us. Myself sure. and my husband are both on the phone. Okay. Uh, we are reaching out to you to ask for some help. We have two kids, 8 years old and 15 years old, mm -hmm. and uh, we have some challenge with the 15 years old. Mm -hmm. um, she is uh, currently seeing a psychologist and working, but we still have some challenges. I personally have more challenges with her. Um, there is quite a bit of an anger, uh, I guess, from her side, or at least that's what I feel mm -hmm. whenever whenever I ha would have to say no to her. Um, and that takes us to a lot of issues from many years ago. And so I'm really challenged as to how to continue to be a good mother to her. You know, like I would like to not show a lot of emotion, but that's sometimes very hard mm -hmm. um, to stay calm and collected in the middle of a, you know, argument. Sure. Um, so, I'm reaching out to you. Yeah. How do we do this? Okay, yeah, we obviously have to get into it a little bit more. Uh, you know, yes. when you say I have some issues with my 15-year-old, it's to be expected. There's almost always going to be some issues that come up during the teenage years as children enter an area where they actually need to challenge you a little bit. And it's a lot harder for parents in early childhood there's a lot uh, more agreement happening. Of course, there's still going to be disagreements, but almost always in adolescence, at some level, we can even say it's healthy for there to be some uh, disagreements and them, you know, the teenagers not listening to the parents. Parents don't like to hear that because it becomes a lot harder. You know, if your kid listens to what you're saying and you guys are on the same page, it's a lot easier what then when there's disagreement and they're saying no and uh, you know, there's all, all of those things going on. So it is it is challenging, but we have to 
be ready and accept that part of that is natural and normal and even to a degree can be healthy now we'll have to see what's happening specifically in your family but it's just having that mindset that if your daughter um, says no to you that itself is not something bad or wrong uh, but we have to look at what's happening there so this can be an adjustment for a lot of parents but tell me more about what is it that you disagree with her about or what's happening and I, I think you said something that brings up past issues but um, you can tell me a bit of more about what's going on. Sure, sure. I can give you an example of that. Um, so, and just to give you some back, so let me just focus on this one. So, one of the things uh, she has a group of friends, and this year has been a tough year. Um, mm-hmm. She does share with me some stuff about her friends, and out of all of them, one has a lot of emotional issues. So, the things, you know, what we uh, kind of reached out to her to say, your friends, if you if you can see that this friend has too many issues of why she can be a friend, it seems like your friend needs a psychologist or psychiatrist. Uh, she became really angry. Um, she said, she, you know, this friend is the only one who's helping me. Uh, you are the one uh, who, um, oh, you know, what was the exact word? I never feel good. I, I have, you've, ne- you've always made me feel not good. And the friend is somebody who um, you know, has helped me, encouraged me to go to counseling. So we were talking about the present, and she goes back to some years ago. Mm-hmm. And so when I said, when did I not make you feel good? And this is when, you know, she gets really angry. She yells, she cries. There's a lot of emotion. Um, is, um, you know, she suggests that, um, I've, you know, literally, I've put her down. I've always told her, you're not good. Um, and the factual part of that that I like to add is that before I had her, you know, we've been reading psychology books. We tried to get ourselves ready. I'm not saying I was ready for all of it, but I do. I understand she's trying to be independent. What bothers me is that she keeps going back, and so I tried to apologize to her and I said, you know, I do make mistakes. I've done mistakes. You know, you're my first child. Um, I'm sorry you have felt like that. And she got even more angrier, hmm. and um, eventually she told that she got angry because I didn't say. I apologize because I did wrong. I said I apologize because you feel that way. Mm-hmm. The word that I said really pissed her off. Yeah. Um, so and so, what I'm asking is kind of like I'm human. I'm trying my best. What are the things I should or should not say? When I get very quiet, mm-hmm. she tells me you're ignoring me. When I talk, if I agree with her, she's happy. If I say no, I can't take you to this friend's house, she gets unhappy. She gets very angry. Um, so, you know, there's a, a few things, obviously, to look at. One is just because she gets unhappy doesn't mean you necessarily did something wrong. Uh, but also we can look at what you're saying. So if you disagree with her and she doesn't like it, it doesn't mean don't disagree or you have to disagree in some perfect way where she likes it. She might not like it. So you have to be ready that she won't. Uh, always be happy with you and that even seems like when you know i heard it in your apology didn't make me upset but i did feel that the way you said it was almost like you were justifying for yourself well it's my first kid i make mistakes but that's not the focus on are you guilty or not guilty the focus is more on how she was hurt and focusing on her but i that i heard the apology more of a defense than a apology about what your daughter was feeling so I'm not saying she needed to react to what you're saying, but I could get it. And I want you to hear that. And I'm hearing that. And what you're saying is that 
you know, I don't want to make mistakes, which is understandable, but recognizing you will and do and acknowledging the specific ones, because sometimes what, what parents will do or people do in general is they'll they'll say it as a blanket statement. I know I've made a lot of mistakes and I'm sorry for that. But then when a specific thing comes up, they won't acknowledge that one as directly and clearly that, you know what, I was wrong there. I shouldn't have done that or I wish I did this. It's different than a blanket statement of, look, I've made mistakes. I'm sorry if I've made mistakes. So um, if she brings up something specific, I would try to stay with her in that of trying to understand how she was hurt um, and see if you can suspend the part that wants to defend yourself for doing whatever you did or didn't do. Okay. Um, one thing that I don't know if she recognizes or not is that I think when she goes back and she says, you know, I put her down or I didn't, I know I did not, not put her down. I didn't tell her that she's good enough or she didn't feel good enough. Um, you know, we had our second child when the older one was six, six and a half years old. And uh, I was very close to the older one. Once the new kid came, um, you know, our you know, our relation started to get a little bit strained because I had a newborn, and then the older one, you know, I couldn't take care of both. And the, the dad, my husband who's here, jumped, you know, kind of jumped in and tried to do more activities with the older one. So why feel like she was really hurt then? Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't recognize it then. I'm seeing it in retro now. Mm-hmm. Um, she, do, I don't know if she agrees with me, and I've never brought it up because we want to make sure we do talk about this when we're able to, you know, I don't want to accuse her of that. I was hoping that she could <laughs> what, come what, up with what's that. The, what's the accusation? That, you know, the new sister came and just broke her heart. And maybe she felt she's not good enough. Um, but see, but even there, you see how you're blaming her for how she was feeling. Okay. It, so I'm, I'm still hearing it's a lot of, well, if she feels like I didn't tell her she's good enough, she messed up somehow. I, I did a good job. How did she not hear it? because I, I didn't okay. make a mistake. So I'm still hearing that. And that's why, you know, you said the word accusation to say, well, maybe it's your fault that when your sister came, you didn't like it rather than if we see it from her perspective and let's try to take away even the mindset of fault and blame. Uh, when her sister came, it was hurtful to her. And that usually is the case. And okay. that, you know, seeing her pain as her pain rather than, um, you know, are you guilty or not guilty as a parent? So would you think in this case, if I were to either write to her or just directly tell her that I'm really sorry, that, you know, for, I am very sorry for hurting her, would that be something that takes the blame away from her? <laughs> well, I, or am I still sounding defensive? Well, I mean, I, I'm, I would make it, you know, obviously it's understandable that the goal is to resolve the issue. That, that should be the goal. But we have to also make sure that because we just want to get to that goal, we don't go, we don't lose sight of, I want to make sure I understand her first, understand her pain. And it seems like she might feel you're glossing over that part to get to the, okay, let's be good. Let's be on good terms and go forward where she feels like, see, you don't even care about or understand what I'm feeling or what I went through. So it's going to be more of a conversation where, yes, we want to get to that end goal of resolving things but there does seem to be a missing piece of understanding her pain and what she's going through or what she went through that we want to make it a conversation we're saying i want to understand better maybe i'm not getting it and i'm sorry that i haven't understood i can see how these things were hurtful but i might not be fully understanding 
what you're feeling and what you went through. When you say, I didn't tell you you were good enough or however she said it, you know, I hope, you know, I, I think you could tell her how you feel about her and how uh, much you love her and appreciate her. Uh, but you're sad that if you ever didn't make her feel that way, you want to understand how, what happened. So you get it better. Um, so it's validating and valuing her pain as a real thing, not as maybe, you know, she misunderstood as an eight-year-old how I was communicating to her. If anything, I'd always put the onus on you that if she didn't feel something from you, that's on you, not on eight-year-old her to figure it out or she should have known better or taken it in better. Uh, so I think taking that pressure off of yourself, I'm sure you're a great mom and your husband's a great dad. Uh, you know, we talk about good enough parenting that that's what the kids need. You're not going to be perfect and that's more than okay. Um, so that acknowledging and being aware that there's things you could have done better, that's going to be there and really talking to her in an open way about that, that you could study and prepare and do all those things, but every parent still will get lots of things wrong because it's such a hard job and relationship that, that there's always going to be mistakes just like husband and wife too I'm sure you both have loved each other but have made mistakes or done things wrong that you could improve on in that relationship as well absolutely, absolutely. It, it's confusing the words sometimes are confusing sure. that's, and that's why we reached out to you I didn't realize I was defending myself but that's very clear you're right once somebody says that it becomes clear that's, that's true <laughs> it's yeah it's um, tough I mean and that's why looking at the feelings that go into you know when you're going to a conversation with her being very aware of what am I taking into this conversation? Is it just understanding and wanting to get to a better place? Or is it, it seems like it's hard for you, as is the case for many parents, to hold on to feelings that, you know, maybe I did something wrong or my child is hurt by me. That could be very hard to, to hold on to and to feel. Uh, if anything, you've wanted to love her yeah. and make her feel good. And so that could be very painful to, to have to hold on to that. And so when that comes up, it could be something that you repel, but then she can feel like you're repelling her pain and her experience. That's true. She does feel like I haven't validated her, her feelings. That, mm -hmm. is, that, is, that came out really strong. Yes, mm -hmm. that's true. Hi, I can't really hear him. Can you speak louder? A little bit. It's still yeah. kind of faint, but let, let's see how it is when he starts talking more. Start talking more. Okay, okay. No, can't. We can barely hear him. Let me put the other one. There we go. Can, can you hear me better mm -hmm, now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that good? Yes. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I'm also, you know, uh, concerned about my wife and, uh, you know, the, the relationship that she has with uh, my daughter. Uh, obviously, my daughter is a little bit better for with me, but um, the problem she has with me is that I always validate my wife uh, because I know my wife has you know has her best interest in mind when she says something. But the the only resentment she has is that why you always validate mom, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so uh, as far as their problems uh, and something that I see. Uh, the relationship they have. Uh, my wife does a lot of things for her, mm -hmm. and she, from time to time, when they have an argument, she tells her, uh, "See, I do this for you. I take you here. I take you shopping. Things like that." And the other day, my daughter was telling me she always tells me that, and that's not good. I don't want to hear that. Mm -hmm. um, but then, um, then when she, my wife does these things and. She does 
doesn't my daughter doesn't do something in you know in in return then my wife gets mad and she kind of like takes it on her like why I do all these things and you don't even do one little thing for me right well so, i mean that expectation going that way is something we always have to be mindful of i mean it, because then in a way it could seem like you're doing those things so that she she should do something back that you want and you should be doing all those things and and again it's not to say it's not about being a good or bad mom or bad good or bad dad but because you've done good things doesn't mean that you can't be a good or bad you know that there's other things that don't hurt you i can say hey we have a babysitter for your baby wonderful babysitter gonna feed clean do all the stuff but might drop your baby on the floor three or four times and, and you know but but look at all those things the babysitter did. It doesn't matter. You can still hurt someone in a way that still is valid to, to focus on that pain. So again, it's coming into this almost like a preponderance of guilt or trying to figure out if it's a guilty or not guilty verdict. So I'm sure you're, you and your wife have done thousands, literally, of things for your kids. But it doesn't mean that things you've done haven't hurt them and that they don't have the right to share those pains and that those pains are not real or that because you've done things now well you have to do this or you can't complain about something else or whatever else that you know the case might be that they're not incompatible things it's not it could be both where you've done lots of things but also some things that have hurt and those things still have to be valued just like in again your guys's relationship together i'm sure you've done lots of things for each other but if someone does something the other one doesn't like, they can express, you know, you hurt my feelings here or this happened. And you can't say, well, because I did four things yesterday, you can't complain about today. That's correct. Um, and then, uh, yeah, the other the other part is that um, then my wife, you know, thinks that then she shouldn't be saying anything. And if she doesn't say anything, then that's not her personnel. Then she's suppressing her own feelings. Then. Mm-hmm. And I can explain that better. Sure. So I feel discouraged. Uh, you know, I feel really discouraged. And maybe that's my shortcoming, not understanding what the role of a mother is. Um, it's just, and it's not, you know, I don't do it on a daily basis to tell her I've done all these things for you. And yeah. you don't open the door for me when I ring the bell. Hmm. But from time to time, it comes out. And I feel like I have, to be quite honest, uh, I have some resentment toward her. Hmm. Um, it's been seven, eight years of trying so I do feel a little bit tired and discouraged, but I understand. Uh, it takes two, and I, I get it. I have expectation, and that's when I feel disappointed. You know? Sure. Well, I mean, it, it, you know, I know even I said it, and sometimes this this mindset of no expectations. I mean, I don't know what what you meant by like you ring the door and she doesn't open it. Sometimes there's things like you know if you say. Uh, you know, uh, hello, and someone says nothing back. Now it's an expectation, but there's there's different levels of expectations, and some of them we might have. You know, we're at a commercial break. I, I think getting into this feeling of dis- being discouraged, it could be important to dig into a little bit deeper. So let's talk on the other side of the commercial break a bit more about what you feel, because I think those feelings that then get triggered likely will cause you to then react later in uh, the, the arguments or disagreements you have. So let's talk a bit after the break, okay? Thank you. All right. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, we were with some parents who were sharing about their family. Let's go back to them now. Are you still there? Yes. All right. So um, you mentioned before the break this feeling of being discouraged, which I think is a 
it could be an intense feeling. And as a parent, when you, the way you described it, the sense of not doing good enough, it sounded like, is that feeling, which is interesting because there is this term by Winnicott of a good enough mother or good enough parent, which is really important. But I wanted you to tell me more about that. When you say you feel discouraged, what are you, what are you feeling? So here's my feeling, um, doctor. I feel like before I had my kid, I started studying. I knew I'm not going to know it all, but I'm going to do everything in my power to give my kid a good start. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I felt like um, when she was born, she became the priority. I changed my work around it so I could be the primary caregiver. As your father always suggests that for the first two years, you know, somebody got to be there. I tried to be that. And from there on, I felt like whatever I was in my power, take her to parties, if, you know, introduce her to classes, um, let her grow roots here. We, obviously, we are immigrants. She's not. But surround her with people in our area, not just a certain ethnicity, everybody. And all those things went well. And then for the past seven years that I feel like I try, it fails. I try to go toward her, and then she just becomes angrier. Um, you know, I'm just, it's been years of trying and failing. Um, well, that word, fail. <laughs> yeah, the, so the fa- and I didn't mean to cut you off there, but because you, you said it a few times, failing. Um, you have not failed because just because your daughter is upset with you right now or you have this this has happening it does not at all mean failure and i do get a, a sense of some level of perfectionism and how you are describing things you acknowledge that things won't go exactly perfectly or they won't you know there's still going to be mistakes but it does seem like there is some level of perfectionism there or this sense that if she's not happy with me then i failed and that's why her anger to you each time is like a judgment as a a, a verdict of failure uh, as far as you as a mother and that's what i think makes it even harder for you it's always hard to hear anyone get angry especially our child but i think that's what makes it even harder for you to be able to handle that because each time she gets angry it's like it's not that she's saying i'm angry with you i'm upset with you right now or about this in a way it comes to you as you're a bad mom or you're a failure to use your own word and that can feel too intense to take and can make it so that you, uh, you know, fight back, defend yourself or might even blame her for feeling angry rather than hearing it. So I don't hear this story and think, oh, this mother's a failure at all. That doesn't come to my mind. Teenagers, it, as I mentioned in the previous segment, almost always some anger is almost healthy for there to be there between them and the parents. It doesn't feel always good. It can be hard to deal with. When they're kids, you know, they can worship the parents and it's so much easier and there's a lot more of a yes and everything you say goes. And then they're finding themselves in adolescence and no becomes a word they relearn. They kind of learned it in two or three and now they're relearning it in a different and more intense way. And it can be tough as a parent to feel that feeling that my child is also not me because that's part of what they're doing when they're finding that identity. It's sometimes they're not even sure. You know, you see teenagers trying different things, hair color, music, different things they get obsessed with or into. Part of it is that they don't know who they are, but there's a way they're telling you, I'm not you. And that can be a little bit tough to hear and see and to feel the way that it sometimes is expressed by the teenager. And that's something that I think you're having a challenge with with your daughter is that she's saying, I'm not you. And she's actually trying to get closer to you when she shares that anger. That's the strange, uh, what might feel strange is that you're hearing her being angry, which feels mean, which feels bad. But that's in a way her way of trying to connect with you because underneath anger, there's pain. 
So she's saying, mommy, I'm hurt. And rather than going into the hurt, you're focused or getting, you know, so affected by the anger that that then becomes the only thing that's being dealt with and, and not in a great way. And you both feel the worse for it. So it's hard in the moment when she's angry to respond in a calm way and you're not going to do it every time. And that can also still be good enough. So don't worry. You're not going to be a failure if you don't respond well to that. But it's recognizing that underneath her anger is a hurt. Your daughter is saying, I'm, a, I'm hurting mom. And we want to see if we can connect to that because that's where the real healing and the real connection is going to be. And that's a really good point because when she becomes angry, unfortunately, I feel like she's putting the walls up. So mm-hmm. I just stay back. Mm-hmm. It's well, it's tough. And, and you know, so anger has a kind of a protective aspect to it. You're hurting me, so I'm going to, my claws come out to make sure you can't hurt me more. Or also there's a revenge element. I'm going to hurt you back. And so if you can withstand that, we can try to get to under underneath where the pain is, which is harder because that pain for you, especially you're feeling like I caused this pain again. I failed or I hurt her as a mom. I, I even me saying failure. I don't like saying it repeatedly. I'm using your own word, but I hurt my daughter and I made a mistake and that could be hard to sit with, but the best mom, the best dad makes hundreds and thousands of errors throughout the course of being a parent and so then when we have to face them that's the tough part but we want to try to face and embrace it and go into it rather than go away and that's where the real healing could happen between um, you and your daughter so what you're saying and what i'm hearing is that i don't necessarily need to go back to when the other one born or even bring that just start from here (laughs) well you can i mean maybe you you heard that i don't know if i i said that or i meant that but i think you don't want to talk about that time because it's not pleasant and i'm not saying you have to bring it up maybe it's not an issue but it's that we're going to be open to whatever she wants to say when you were four mom you hurt i was four you hurt my feelings mom and we want to listen to that. When I was 12, you hurt my feelings or whatever it was. There's no, uh, you know, limit or no restrictions that she can't share. There's no statute of limitations in this case okay. when it comes to, you know, anyone in a relationship, I would say. But especially as a parent and a child, whatever she's bringing up. Because also, you know, she's becoming aware of more things. You know, it wouldn't even be fair, even if we're saying from a legal aspect, when a child is five to understand what happened to them. Now they're older, like, oh. You know, I, my mommy did this, I didn't like that. Or daddy did this, I didn't like that. So we want to give her that space. Again, it's not a, a rebuke or um, a verdict on you as a parent. Mm-hmm. What, I don't know what that was. But, uh, you know, it's, it's not a, uh, you know, you should almost assume that I've done probably lots of things that hurt her, but mm-hmm. I don't know that they hurt her. We're getting a buzzing sound. I don't know if it's like a notification or something. Um, oh, yeah. uh, you know, uh, you know, it's you should assume. Imagine if it's I've hurt my daughter in so many ways, but I don't know about them. And I almost in a way as hard as it could be, I want to hear them because I want to know. Imagine if you hurt her and you didn't know you hurt her. You hugged her in a way, let's say, that hurt her in a kind of an analogy. You would want to know that it hurt her body and you don't want to do that anymore and you'd want to help and fix it if you could. So by her sharing, it's actually a good thing. It's something that's already there that's coming up and you should yourself embrace that. I've done things that hurt my daughter because that's what life is like. We hurt each other in relationships even when we try our best not to. And so I want to know them. So in a way, it's almost like you want to know rather than um, you want them not to exist. Okay. Um, so, Dr. Rod, sure. uh, do you um, have um, 
therapy? Do you offer therapy session via phone or Zoom these days? Uh, yes, I do. Um, anyone could call my office. It's, you know, things are different. I haven't seen a client in person since March. So um, anyone could call my office number. And, and depending, you know, with the coronavirus, there's some changes with the restrictions. As far as before, you could only see someone that was living in the state you're licensed in. But now, depending on the state, there's some, you know, ways that that has changed. So you can call uh, my office number and we can see if, if something can be uh, arranged, sure. And we would like to do that. So the other question I had was about um, the, the therapy, the way you do it. Now, now, I listen to your dad's show a lot. Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, the way he does, he, uh, he beats people up. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, you know, he says that there's an expression in Farsi, says, Man, like, yes. I'm not here to just listen to mm -hmm. you. If you are wrong, I'm going to stay in front of you and tell you in your face, right? And he does a lot of that, yes. which is funny. <laughs> um, but uh, when my daughter goes to the therapy, uh, when she comes, you know, and I ask her, okay, how did it go? You know, she always says, yeah, my therapist said, yeah, you're doing right. That's right what you do. I mean, I've never heard her to say, no, she told me you shouldn't be doing that. Is that how you should be doing with this uh, adolescence? Is it different style than... Well yeah, so a few feeling? sure. So a few things come to mind. That one is, so people have different styles to begin with, and even my father and myself will be different because you know each therapist there's ways of doing things, but then also your own personality and way of being is going to come through in how you are as a therapist. Not to get too off the topic, but even myself and seeing myself as a therapist and other people I've worked with, when you're in school, you try to, you know, you all get the same toolkit or you think you have to do the same things. But as you develop as a therapist, more of your own personality uh, starts to become part of what you're using. So people are different. But what's also very important is, you know, the radio versus therapy is different also. Even myself, when I have callers, the way I'm going to interact with them will be different than I will be in the course of therapy because it's a different context and uh, you know things are in a much bigger time scale in therapy than here where it's going to be 15 or 30 minutes where you have to hear something and give some pretty direct feedback or advice on that. So it's a little bit different and so we should expect that therapy should not be like calling into a radio show even though of course there's overlap and it can sound similar in a lot of ways it's definitely they're they're different things so it's kind of comparing apples to oranges now also me as a therapist i always want to be mindful of talking about someone else's therapy work especially when it's you know third or fourth hand the way that it's coming back to me now um but i would say be aware of even asking her about her therapy you know if she wants to tell you about her therapy that's fine. You know, she can tell you whatever she wants. I wouldn't ask too much because there's a, a an intrusiveness there. Pro therapy is a private process where she's going there. It should be her private space to talk about whatever she wants. Um, so I wouldn't, you know, I know as a parent, you might be thinking, well, I want to know if this therapist is doing a good job or helping, but we have to give a little bit of space to let our our child go through it because by asking it, it could be interfering with her process and really if she's happy with her therapist that's more important to me than if you uh, or your wife were happy with her, her therapy she has to feel a connection has to feel comfortable so I wouldn't get too much into well what did she tell you to do what is happening you know she could have talked about you and your wife and some intense things and so now she's going to tell you about the things they explored I don't think it's uh 
you know, we should put that pressure on her. If she wants to tell you, you know, I talked about this and I wanted to talk to you and mom about it or about you, you know, with as is always the case with parents, the doors are open towards you. If your child wants to walk through to talk to you about anything, you should be ready for it. But we never force them to talk to us about anything. Like we can't say, you need to talk to me about this. You need to tell me about your therapy or you need to tell me about your friends. That's not where we, the, the uh, you know, that's not where we want to approach things. She wants to tell you about her therapy. That's, that's up to her and great. And you're going to listen and, and try to be there for her. But I wouldn't intervene uh, with her therapy uh, or evaluate it in that way that you know the therapist needs to tell her she's doing things wrong um, which again could be going back to this thing of well we need her to figure out what she's doing wrong not focus on what we're doing wrong as parents you know right so so, well then it will be hard for us to determine if this therapist is good or not because we're not seeing any changes but you're saying that uh, I mean it does it's been about uh three, four months so far. Okay. Been, and she was with another therapist before, but that was, she was not happy with the other therapist, but she's very happy with this one. But we're not seeing results, though. Well, I mean, that's... The it, way we want. Well, and that's, and that's you know, the last two words were very important. The, you know, we want the ways that you want her to change or want progress. Therapy, three, four months is something, but it, it's still, you know, a process, especially with teenagers building rapport and building that comfort takes a little bit longer usually you know for them to feel that they can trust the person um and so three four months is not a long time but i would ask her how does she feel about it you know you're saying she likes a therapist that's great if she thinks it's helpful but because you've already asked her i wouldn't do too much of that because i don't want you to grill her about is this therapy good and worth it and and all of that um but even when you say the changes we want what type of changes do you want to see that you're not seeing uh, well, just uh, the whole relationship, you know, with her and her mom, it hasn't improved much, even though she's calm now herself because she's on medication now. Okay. So my daughter is calmer. Before she was very angry, but now she's calmer because of medication maybe, but uh, the, still the relationship is not improved that much. Well, and I think I need to interject. We were just talking about family, um, you know, uh, therapy. Um, and I think from what you said, doctor, I have some work to do on my side. I have felt resentful, and so I'm defensive. I need to work on myself and open up in a better way. So we sure. Can, you know, well, yeah. I can hear her better. Exactly. Can, yeah, we want to hear her better. And I'm, I'm happy to hear that. And that's not easy to acknowledge that we need to make a change and making it is even harder. Family therapy can be great, but even in what you know you, you were saying now, speaking to your husband, is that well, she went to therapy and we expected it to fix the relationship with her mom, which again makes it that it's like her problem. That it was, let's say, your daughter's anger that was the problem, which I, I don't know if that's really the case. Um, and even uh, medication can be helpful, and I don't know enough about the situation to say she should or should not be on medication. But I don't like to think of medication in the sense of, well, you know, she had too much anger. We need to calm her down because maybe her anger is justified. Maybe she oh. should be angry. Maybe she I, needs to express I do that. I want to clarify. She was diagnosed with the aggressive form of a depression and an anxiety. Okay. And so that's what they suggest that the uh, medication. Oh, sure. And I'm not like I said. I'm not going to make a judgment on if she should or should not be on medication, but just something. Right be aware of that a lot of times in general but especially as parents we have this mindset of oh there's a feeling that's too much of it how do we turn that down but maybe your anger is because she's upset with the two of you and i'd want her to be able to talk about that and resolve it rather than what's a way to mute her anger in some way 
So it's not a judgment on the medication being necessarily good or bad or she should or should not be on it. But I want you to be aware of this a very common mindset that especially parents can have that, oh, my child's too sad. We need to turn that down rather than how do we understand this sadness, see how we can if there's a way healing it without uh, you know, listening to the sadness first before we just think of how do we turn it down. So if she's angry with you, my thought isn't, oh, we got to get your daughter to be less angry. My thought first is, well, what is she angry about? How do we talk about it? How do we work through this? And then, yes, if she's still angry, it feels out of control for her. She doesn't like it. You know, that's a different kind of a thing. But just, we, you know, we don't want to look at it as there's a bad feeling. We need to get rid of it. The bad feeling is telling us something first. It's information. It's just like if your daughter's knee hurts, you wouldn't say, okay, let's just inject it with a bunch of painkillers. You would say, well, let's get an x-ray. Let's see what's going on. Maybe she needs surgery, physical therapy, all sorts of things before we just try to take the pain away. So same kind of thing with her anger. I wouldn't just think of it as, oh, my daughter's angry. How do we get rid of this? First, we want to understand it and see if we can work through it before uh, we just think of how to get, get it to go away. All right. Thank you very much thank for your time. You. We'll try to um, get in touch with you after and see if we can have some sessions. Sure. Pleasure talking awesome. with you both. I thank you so much. Thank you. Very thank you. It was nice talking to you. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Let's go to another commercial break. We'll be right back. back. So I want to continue on some of the themes that came up with the previous callers. Um, as always, I want to be mindful not to talk about a specific case when they're no longer there to respond. But um, there's definitely some important issues that came up that I wanted to talk about. So to begin with, being a parent is the most important and as often as the case with something important, the most challenging role you can have in life. Very, very difficult. It's very hard. And I say that so that when I give some critiques or I give some um, feedback to parents specifically, but also in general, just we are aware of that, that it's a very challenging role, the most important role that you can have. And as a result, we also should take it very seriously. So um, when I say it's challenging and also when we talk about how you're going to make mistakes, it doesn't mean, well, if you're going to make mistakes, it doesn't matter how big they are. Or you don't have to think about it either. You know, a pilot probably makes lots of mistakes or could have done things better, but it doesn't mean they should just be like, well, it doesn't matter anymore what I do because I'm not going to do it perfectly, which is something that comes up a lot for people is that if you can't do something perfectly, then who cares? But we have to accept in relationships in general, human relationships, it's always going to be imperfect. You will never perfectly be a friend, perfectly be a husband or wife, perfectly be a parent. And that actually is something that makes some people shy away from relationships because uh, you know they'll have some interactions with someone and it feels like it's going perfect it's going great and people can actually feel an anxiety that as we get closer it's not always going to be perfect and I won't always get it right I won't always have the right thing to say I won't perfectly respond to them I won't make them feel good and they might even shy away from getting closer this is a another element of things that can lead to fears of intimacy or fears of getting close, even in a friendship realm, but also in relationships. But I'll leave that aside for now because I wanted to focus on the parenting aspect. So as a parent, we want to take that role incredibly seriously because we recognize how important it is, which involves a few things. One is um, we have to study. So 
parenting is one of those things kind of like love and relationships that people say, well, it's natural. Shouldn't we just have maternal instincts and paternal instincts and the desire is there? Just like people say, well, why do we have to go to therapy or study about love and relationships? It's natural that people want to be together. The desire is natural. The want is natural. But doing it well is not natural. Or doing it the best that you can do is not just something that you're naturally going to do. Will you feel some love for your child that is just feels so natural and instinctual in a way? Yes, but it doesn't mean because of that you will know how to raise that child uh, without learning or studying or doing anything like that. So just because the desire is natural doesn't mean doing it well is natural and something that doesn't require some level of work and study. So we should be doing that and it's not something that you're ever done with. Um, hopefully you'll do it before you're a parent, but also as you're a parent, continue in general learning, but also as your child enters different phases and stages in life, you can re-inform or inform yourself more about how to parent during that time. On top of that, not only do we have to learn this knowledge on the outside, we have to go within to deal with our own issues. So similar to in our romantic relationships that you're going to bring in, your own stuff, your own emotional baggage into the relationship. In parenting, this happens as well. Um, Daniel Siegel has a great book on this theme, uh, Parenting from the Inside Out, which I highly recommend, which uh, involves recognizing that you as a parent unconsciously and con consciously are going to bring things and bring things onto your child um, that if you don't recognize and deal with are going to hurt them or you're un going to unload on them. And, and it's interesting in the course of therapy seeing how these things play out in, in bigger and smaller ways. Even things like birth order. I know people who listen to my father, he, he's very big on that. But in this way, what also can be affected in birth order is your own birth order then with your kids. So if you were the first of two kids and now you have children, your own experience as being the older child can impact how you deal with your kids, how you interact with them individually, the older one and the younger one, let's say, but also how you would interact with disputes between them because you'll see yourself in them or you might project good and bad. You might um, relate to yourself, you know, let's say with the older one, or you might feel bad about things you did and that guilt might make you take the other person's side. So you have to do a lot of work in understanding your own issues, your own experience as a child. What was that like? What were your parents' parenting styles like? What did they do you liked, didn't like? How did they hurt you or, or not hurt you or love you in ways that felt good? All those things and what you experience are you're going to bring into being a parent. So it's tough. We can see how many different uh, dynamics are in play, the complexity of what's going on. Parenting is not something that occurs in a vacuum where it's just here are the techniques and you do X, Y, and Z and it's going to go well. It's much messier than that. It's much more complicated than that when you're interacting with a child and there's so many things going on on top of inside of you, outside of your own um, you know, psyche, between you and your partner who you're co-parenting with, life in general, all these things. There's so much going on so that it's impossible to be perfectly prepared or to think you're going to get it all right, but that's okay. I really do like, I mentioned it with the callers, uh, this theme or concept of good enough mothering that Winnicott came up with or describes where parents 
uh, or the child doesn't need you to be a perfect, he said good enough mother, but really you can say it for parent, doesn't need the mother to be perfect to develop well. They just need the mom to be good enough in how she responds to the child's needs and emotional needs and developmental needs as they're getting older. Even one could say that in some of those misattunements, sometimes when you don't really meet the need of the child uh, in the best way, the most timely manner, you sometimes get it wrong, there can be some growth as a child, especially is getting older, baby even is getting older and can soothe him or herself. There can actually be growth in that. So this can be a way of taking a little bit of the pressure off. You're not going to be perfect, but that's actually okay and could be quite healthy. Now, that being said, sometimes people think, oh, well, if, you know, sometimes those misattunements, getting it wrong helps my child, should I intentionally get things wrong? And the answer to that would be no, because you don't need to do it intentionally. You will do it accidentally enough times already. You will make mistakes, so you don't need to add it. This would almost come from a mindset that while I'm being such a perfect parent, I might have to make mistakes intentionally sometimes. Uh, Newsflash, you're going to get it wrong no matter how hard you try, no matter how much effort you put into it, sometimes you're going to get it wrong. But again, that's okay. And this same thing of, uh, you know, rupture and repair is what we see in all relationships as well, even romantic relationships. You need to have these things that are going to come up and you have to face them. When you get hurt by one another, something happens you don't like, that little break and repair is actually what's going to strengthen the relationship. But you need to face the issues. You can't avoid them. Uh, If you do, you actually avoid those opportunities for repair, which leads to actually strengthening the relationship. So the relationship gets weaker the more you avoid the issues. It doesn't stay strong because you're um, avoiding the fights. We're not fighting or arguing. It's actually going to get weaker, kind of like a muscle atrophy if it's not being used. So as a parent, as I shared with them, there's so many different challenges, but one that I wanted to touch on just in these last few minutes here is that when your child is transitioning from being your little boy or girl into a teenager, that can be a very, very challenging time for parents. Uh, To begin with, a few things are happening. One is their sense of focus and who they look to starts to shift from you to their peers and also uh, people in culture, but especially their peers. And for parents, this can be tough that my child would come to me for everything, would want to know my advice, what I like and what I think. But now they seem to care less about that. Even oftentimes we can see, you know, kids will start making fun of their parents in this age, which actually is a reflection of a few things. One, that they are saying, I'm not you. And maybe I see some of myself in you, or I used to think I was you. So I'm kind of uh, making fun of that part. And also, as is often the case with humor that we have to be aware of when we make fun of someone, there can be some anger there. And this could be a more healthy or appropriate way of, of making fun of your kid, uh, your parents or expressing that anger in a way that's safer than expressing it directly, which also teenagers do as well, which we talked about with the callers and most parents of teenagers will also experience. So that is there, you know, almost all, uh, especially kids of immigrants, they'll make fun of their parents' accent. That's a very common 
uh, experience that you'll see that they'll make fun of them. And we can see that this is a way of saying, I'm not you. Here's a way that I'm better than you in a way, because I speak the language, let's say, without an accent, or I speak it better than you. And again, another way of expressing some level of anger towards the parents in what might be a healthier type of way. Um, but for parents, this can be tough to see this change. My little girl or little boy uh, kind of is, is a little different than, than they used to be. Before, they would want to spend time with me, hang out with me. Now, that's like the least cool thing they want to do, and they want to spend time with their peers. They would listen to me, and now they seem to just say no, and even sometimes they might feel like they're saying no just to say no, similar to a child at around two or three when they really discover that word no and that I'm not you. Um, we can feel that, that it just seems to be a way of saying I'm not you. And that can be tough, this uh, separation. It can feel like tearing of an attachment at some level, not to make it dramatic, but it can feel a very deep emotional feeling. I'm losing my child. They're going away. And this is a challenging thing for parents, but one that they have to recognize is in the best interests of the healthy development of your child. They need to separate a bit from you. If they don't, that's a problem. If your child at 14, 15, 16, 17 is exactly like when they were eight, uh, you know, listening to everything you say, only agreeing with you, never making you upset, all those things that we think makes a quote unquote good kid, this is actually not healthy for them. They are holding back and you are holding them back from actually experiencing what they need to experience to develop in a healthy way, which involves some level of conflict and unease in the relationship. And this can be very hard for parents to withstand because when there is that with that unease, it can feel like my kids don't love me anymore. Uh, my kids are going to keep going away from me. So we feel them pulling away and you might pull them closer to you in different ways because you're afraid of losing them. Even we see this culturally. Uh, at this age, you might see your teenager rejecting your culture. Let's say if you're an immigrant, so an Iranian family, all of a sudden they don't want you know, Iranian music or even food or won't want to speak the language. They might go through a lot of things and really embrace the American culture, let's say for family living here. And this can make the parents feel like, oh, our child is disowning us completely and trying to forget his or her roots and, and going into this culture and, you know, that's going to make them less moral and all these other things, but also just make them go away from us. And that can be very scary. So we're at a commercial break, but I'm going to continue on this conversation of some of the challenges that parents face in adolescence and why it's such a challenging time. But being aware that some of these difficulties are actually healthy can help us get through it. So let's go to a commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So continuing the discussion, thoughts on parenting during adolescence, which can be a very, very challenging time. But as I was mentioning at the end of the last segment, it in some ways needs to be or should be a challenging time to some degree, meaning that there is going to be some shaking up that's happening and so in some ways as a parent your role is going to be to withstand the shaking in some ways you can minimize some of it to not make it get too bad but to withstand what's going on rather than think that it has to go away or that that it, the fact that it's happening is something bad in and of itself so a child when they enter adolescence is going to be going through some 
healthy and normal developmental processes that can be a little bit challenging for the parents to withstand because some of them involve some level of separating, individuating, differentiating from the parents. And this can feel like a tear in the attachment, as I mentioned before, which can be painful. And we can think this is something meaning the end of the relationship. It can mean that I'm losing my child, but it is not that and it does not have to be that. And conversely, the more you don't let it happen and you resist it, you actually might push your child away. You might push them away or you might push them down. So push them down means that by not allowing them to go through this development, you actually might be uh, interfering with their growth. So if you want your child never to argue with you during their adolescence, because in your mind, a good parent and a good parent-child relationship is one where there's no fights, where the child is telling you um, that they love you always and that everything you do is good as a parent. If that's how you measure yourself as a parent and your relationship with your child, you're going to interfere with allowing your child to actually grow, which involves trying some things out, creating their own space finding their own identity, which should be in a lot of ways different from you because they are their own person. They're in a different generation. Um, if you especially have moved or you're an immigrant or child of immigrants or whatever it might be, culturally, there could be differences. And again, they are their own person, so they should be different from you. And we have to give them that space. So you might push them down by not letting them grow. Unfortunately, to a parent who has this mindset that no fighting is the only thing that matters and my, my child showing me that they're happy with me in every moment is the only thing that matters at how I measure a relationship, you will actually think things are going quite well. You know, we've never had an argument with our teenage son or daughter. And that means things are going well. And conversely, they'll say, oh, with our other teenager, or they'll see in another family, there's arguments. So that means they're doing it wrong, not recognizing that some of what's going on there is actually quite healthy. I'll work with a lot of families with multiple kids, especially with two kids. And they'll say, oh, this one's good in a way. They might not even say this explicitly. Sometimes essentially they do. This one's good. No problems. Listens. Oh, amazing. The other one, that's the problem kid because he or she is saying things back, does not listen to what we're saying, does not just do what we want. And that's a problem. But we're missing that that sometimes is more unhealthy than the one that's challenging you. Just like if you go to a, uh, you know, a Persian dinner party, a Mehmuni, we don't have many of them these days, but when we used to, and we will again soon, if you see a three-year-old child that just sits there and does nothing the whole time, a lot of times we think, oh, what a well-behaved little boy or little girl just sat there the whole time and didn't move. What a great kid. What we really mean is you're easier for me. You're easier for us to deal with, but that's not healthy. A three-year-old needs to be playing, going around, being active, exploring things that might create a mess, involve more work, involve us having to supervise them in a certain way that does take more out of us. But really, you're not saying or observing a healthy child. You're observing a child that is afraid to live and makes it easier for us. And so you don't want your teenager to be afraid to disagree with you. One, because either they're scared of your anger or two, because they feel that you can't handle the disagreement. So when you get, they get upset with you, if they disagree, you fall apart. You can't believe it. Or you're so hurt. Or I can't believe I've done so much for you. Or I can't believe you're disagreeing with me. You never did this before. What's happening to you? If we respond in that way, the child might feel like it's too scary to disagree. 
And so in your mind, you're thinking, oh, everything's good. My child never disagrees with me, but you don't understand the storm that you have stifled within your child and also created within your child. So that's how you might push your child down. Push your child away is also if you make them feel bad about having the disagreements. So rather than them getting closer to you in this process over time, maybe not initially, they need some space, you might push them away even further. If you make them feel so bad about disagreeing or bad about not doing exactly what you want or breaking some rules or doing things in a way that you're not used to, you might push them further away from you because now they feel judged by you. They feel like you don't love them. They feel like you think they're bad. You're embarrassed of them. You're ashamed of them. You don't want to tell other people about what they're doing or not doing. And so now you might push your child away during this period because you make them feel bad about going through something that might at least at some level be healthy and needed. I'll make it very clear. When I say this, I don't mean if your child is breaking the rules, you can't say anything or you shouldn't say anything. It actually is a time where you also have to create and maintain boundaries. And this is where some of the conflict will arise. You have to expect it. You're going to make rules and your child won't always follow them. You're going to hopefully make rules with them. This is something I recommend to even parents of young kids, but especially in adolescents. Make the rules with them. So don't say, here's your bedtime or here's your curfew and you have no say in it. Make it a conversation. It doesn't mean they're going to dictate it. So if they say my curfew is four in the morning, you say, okay, you have a conversation with them, but make them be part of that process. And this even is part of giving them more uh, autonomy, authority, showing them you believe in them, showing that their thoughts, opinions, feelings matter. And all of that will actually help in their development as well. But so we have to be ready that there's going to be some level of tumult, some level of things being shaken up. And are you willing to withstand that, recognizing that your child going through this is not a reflection of you being a bad mom or dad? It is a reflection of a natural part of their development. Just like some parents even to a more extreme degree, when their kids want to get married, they don't like the kid being away from them because it's more about you and wanting that sense of closeness and actually recognizing your child needs to grow and develop and be their own person. They're not for you. And this is another big mindset when it comes into parenting that when you have a child, yes, it can feel amazing, the most beautiful and most meaningful experience you can go through, but you are creating a being, but then also creating a relationship that is very one-sided. At the end of the day, you will get a lot out of it, but your child doesn't owe you anything and you're creating a relationship where you're going to give more than you get. I know parents will say, oh, I got so much out of being a parent. It's the most important thing. So I actually get more. I understand that. But really, when you look at the dynamics of what's happening, you're going to be giving a lot more and not having expectations. You know, you give, uh, I think it's Eric Fromm talks about maternal love, but really to me this is paternal or uh, parental love in a sense. You love something in a way to build it up so it could actually go away from you. That's true love as a parent. Not, I love you so much, don't go away from me. I'm going to love you so much and help build you up or let you build and grow and develop to the, the best of your potential so you can actually go away from me. That's the selfless side of being a parent that has to be there. Because if it's not there, then we have the selfish side where it's about me and what I get. 
I sometimes like thinking of the analogy of a, a bird. You know, we've seen these videos and images of birds that the mother bird is bringing back food for the babies and they can't do much. They can't take care of themselves. But eventually there comes a point where the baby bird still sometimes not so very strong, but now has to fly on its own and fly away. And so a selfish mother, if we use this analogy, might say, well, let me not give her my child so much food or let me not give them anything or once it's time to go you know what they're kind of scared to go or maybe it's not safe or maybe they don't want to do it anyway I think she doesn't want to do it that's a classic thing parents do they don't want their kids to do something to go away and they'll project that onto them and say oh I think she doesn't like you know going away uh, hanging out with her friends or going away to college she wants to stay here she wants to stay next to me but it could be more actually because you want them there they feel that or you've made them feel anxious about going away so you're in a way forcing them indirectly to stay with you but that mother bird if it really loves his uh, loves her babies is going to feed them to go away to fly away from her that is the paradox of love when you're a parent is that you love something in a way that it can be strong enough to go away from you that's the genuine Uh, love of a parent and so when we experience this in the teenage years in a different way you have to recognize that they're going to need to get away from you a little bit even psychologically but also in physical space and proximity they have to go away and it's scary to think when they're pulling away a little bit what if they don't come back and there is no guarantee to say that they will come back but if you try to hold on to them and not let them go as I was just saying one you are going to interfere with their growth and development and two you might even push them away and also if they do stay it could be for the wrong reason we want them to want to be close to you we don't want them to force themselves or feel forced to stay close to you and lastly i want to mention the way that we value or measure the strength of our relationships for a lot of people we measure our relationships based on the lack of fighting so if we don't fight, we have a good relationship. Oh, you know what? Even you, you can hear it in the way people talk. No, we, we never fight. Things are so good. And yes, if you fight a lot, and especially if you fight ugly, that can be bad and a sign of a bad relationship. But we should actually measure a relationship not just based on this frequency of fighting, but more on the closeness and the openness that is there. How easy is it for one or the other person to express something they don't like to the other person. That's a much better indicator of the strength of a relationship than how much they fight or don't fight. Because not fighting could actually be a sign of distance. We don't know each other that well and we're not that comfortable with each other. We don't feel comfortable enough to share what we're feeling. But if you actually say, you know what, I didn't like what you just did. If you look from the outside or just in that moment, you might say that feels worse than the two people who aren't saying anything to each other negatively, but that's actually a greater sign of strength and closeness. So when your child comes and you says, you know what, mom or dad, you did something I didn't like. Yes, it doesn't feel good to be told you did something they didn't like. I understand that. But recognize that this is also a sign of the strength in the relationship that your child feels comfortable enough to tell you something. You've inevitably done things that have hurt them. You should hope and wish that you create the kind of relationship with them that they can actually tell you what's bothering them rather than holding it in. And if we measure a relationship based on no fighting and no things being said that anyone dislikes, we're losing the fact that genuine 
relationships are measured in how close and comfortable the people feel with each other. And so we have to be ready in the teenage years. The emotions will get more intense. Some of these um, processes of finding themselves and getting away from you and coming back will be intense. So things will be a little bit harder. It will be a storm to withstand. But like any storm, it does end. If you try to resist it, you'll actually make the storm last longer and could create some permanent damage between you and your child and in their development into becoming their own young adult. All right, let's go into our last commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So in the previous two segments, I was talking about the teenage years, very challenging years for parents that we should expect and accept will be challenging. And at the end of that segment, I was talking about how we should measure our relationships. And this really is about all relationships. But if we measure them just by the frequency of fighting, we could be missing what's more important, which is genuine intimacy and closeness, which means how open can we be with one another. That should be more a sign of the health of a relationship. And even with parents, we can see this at times we think, well, my kid shouldn't uh, say anything bad to me and we think of quote-unquote respect meaning that you should never say something the person doesn't like or that might upset them um, but this is not a sign of respect it's a sign of fear if you feel like you can't be open with one another and so the same thing now I want to talk about in the context of a romantic relationship because doing couples therapy uh, very often people come in and the focus is on some issues that are leading to fights and disagreements. That's usually what gets people in the door to do couples therapy. And that, of course, is very, very important. But I've also worked with couples that um, after some issues are addressed or also at the same time, there can be trying to create more a sense of intimacy and closeness in the relationship which is less likely for people or, or it's less likely that people will see this as a problem because again if we're not fighting things seem okay but we miss that it's kind of like looking at our physical health in the sense of well there's no illnesses that means everything is okay not recognizing that there's ways you can become healthier become stronger that are actually a big part of health health isn't just about lack or absence of pain or illness that is a big part of it but it's also about how do we build up our own strength and make ourselves healthier to also withstand future illnesses or prevent future illnesses from coming so you might not have any issues now but if you're not taking care of yourself you can have issues down the line the same thing is true of your relationship along with it feels better and you'll have a stronger and healthier relationship if you get closer just like you will feel better if you get yourself physically healthier doesn't mean there's a change in disease or lack of disease but you can feel better the same is true of your romantic relationship and so I've really enjoyed working with couples yes of course resolving big issues can feel wonderful and can be so important but the other aspect of actually trying to create more closeness and, and at times a couple might need some uh, I don't want to call it convincing because, of course, the, the client should be doing what they want to do, but making them aware of something that might be missing that could be a strength of the relationship. So if they think, well, we're no longer fighting, we're good, you have to really look at, well, what else is going on? 
Because as I mentioned when we're even talking about our kids, not fighting can mean many things. Yes, it could mean no big issues are coming up, but also it can mean that we are not very close so that we're not really interacting in ways that brings things up or that we are holding things in and holding back. So if something happens that we don't like, we don't tell each other. And inevitably, in any relationship, we can say there are many things that both people are holding on to. Maybe they didn't think the timing was right. They don't feel comfortable. Whatever the reasons, there are things that they're unhappy about. And I mentioned this with the parents I talked to earlier. In a sense, we can approach it that way. There are ways I've hurt my partner that I don't know about. Wouldn't I want to know about those things if I hurt them or did something they didn't like? Rather than you know, having that ignorance is bliss mindset that I'd rather not know and just go about my day. I think many people, if we recognize that our feeling is more about loving our partner than making sure we feel good about who we are as a husband or wife in some kind of global way, we'll see that we'd want to know if we've hurt someone. We, we care about them. I want to know if I've hurt your feelings rather than not know and tell you to just hold on to it and not tell me. So when I talk with couples, it's getting them to recognize that the fighting, it's good that we're dealing with that. It's not about if you fight, it's how you fight. So yes, ugly fights are bad and can be toxic and poison to a relationship, but you're going to have arguments. You need to have them, but helping them also see the value of being more open with each other, which is scary. This is where vulnerability and true emotional intimacy start to come up, which is this paradox I've shared in recent shows that we all desire, but we're also afraid of. It's really a good feeling to get close, but it's also scary to get close to someone else because we can get hurt. Because if we fully expose ourselves, all the good, bad, and ugly, and then they reject us or they don't love us, that can hurt very deeply, much more deeply than if we don't show all of ourselves and we get rejected. It'll hurt, but it will hurt less. So we have to have a safe environment emotionally to be willing and okay to go deeper and to get more emotionally intimate. So that's the first thing we need to have. Do we have this sense of emotional comfort and safety? Do I feel like, now we might not say it's unconditional love because it's not that you can just, let's say, cheat on your partner and no matter what, they should love you. What you do does matter. But within some pretty big boundaries that you can be yourself and have flaws, make mistakes, show parts of yourself that are not perfect, and your partner will still love you, um, not just even despite of that at times, but understanding all of that as a whole. They don't want to even get rid of those parts. They kind of see you as a whole person and can love those parts too. So you have to really see, do we have that emotional comfort and safety with one another? Sometimes one partner feels that one doesn't. Sometimes one is actually making it harder for the other one to feel that way. If you feel judged by your partner, uh, feel like they're overly critical, well, then you're going to be afraid to be more open because you feel that, well, if I show you this part of myself or that part, you're only going to... Uh, make me feel bad or you might use it against me later on. I hear that a lot from people. Well, if you open up to someone, they're going to use it against you later on. Now, this could be your own experiences and your own feeling of almost emotional paranoia in a sense that it's going to be used against you. But it can also be ways that your partner is acting that makes you feel that way or has, has acted that gives you that sense. So you have to first see, do we have this sense of emotional safety and comfort with each other 
to then be willing to go. And this is where we look at attachment theory. It's having that secure base that I feel like you're going to be here. And because of that, I can explore. Now, sometimes we explore out as in into the world, but sometimes we also get the space to explore within or between in the relationship. And that's what we're talking about here. Do we have that comfort that our relationship can now withstand some of this or that if we bring up these things, the love will still be there. I don't have to be afraid to lose your love because I share something personal or intimate about myself. And then you need to go on this voyage together. You need to be open to expressing more, exploring more, sharing more, going deeper in this um, sense of emotional intimacy and going on that journey together means you both have to be open to it. It is a two-way street or really a two-person journey that you're going deeper into the depths of your relationship and your connection, but you both have to have to be willing to do it. And I have to say it's some of the most beautiful work I think I get to do with couples is seeing them create more emotional intimacy with each other where they start to see you know what I can tell my partner if I was hurt by them not only can I I feel like I should I feel that we both recognize now that this is actually going to create more love in our relationship so sometimes someone will tell me well why should I tell my husband or wife something that I know will make them feel bad but your intention when you say you hurt my feelings in this way is not to make them feel bad you're not you're saying it actually because you love them so much so what i tell them is it's not that you don't love your husband or wife that you're saying this you're saying it because you love them and you love your love you love your relationship so much that you want to be open with them because how we should measure our relationship isn't in lack of fighting we should measure it in how open we are how honest we are with each other and by honest i don't just mean not lying that should definitely be there but this is where the openness comes that are you sharing the important things sharing the things that you're feeling and going through especially in the relationship so we can start to see that we're doing this out of love and really you have to ask yourself am i just trying to criticize them or hurt my partner or really do i mean this from a space of love that i want to be closer with them i want things to be stronger i want to make sure we don't let emotional is issues fester and become worse in our relationship so if you're coming from that space of love that you're opening with them opening up with them your partner will hopefully receive it now you have to be aware of how you bring it up you don't want to be harsh or judgmental or attack your partner you want to share your feeling this is where things like I statements come in, taking it as your side. This is what I'm going through, but you still share with them what's going on and hopefully they'll respond better. Now, the good news is these conversations can be tough, but the more we have them, the easier they become. And so I'm reminded of the, uh, the work in neuroscience when we're looking at the brain as a predicting machine. But when we've had experiences with something and seen that they've gone well, when we then get to that place again, it doesn't feel as scary anymore as it does at the beginning. So if you start having these types of conversations with your partner and you have them again and again, you see that it's a little bit uncomfortable, it's a little bit scary, but it actually goes well. And maybe even in the moment you don't feel great, but afterwards you feel better. And especially when you reflect on it, you feel better. Now when it comes time to have that kind of a conversation again, it's gonna be that much easier and feel that much less scary and that much more something you want to do. 
it might not ever feel fully comfortable. So these types of conversations of sharing something you're feeling, especially if you're upset or hurt with your partner, it probably will never feel so easy, uh, a lot more difficult than, let's say, just watching TV together or just sitting and not talking about those things. But it could become less scary, and that's what we're going for, so that you don't avoid them. Because when things make us feel anxious or uncomfortable, the tendency is to avoid them. But the more we face these things and embrace them, the less scary they become. So ask yourself that about your relationships. Yes, if you're having bad fights, that's not good. If you're having anything toxic, that's really bad. We need to work on that. But don't just focus on the frequency of the fights. Ask yourself if you have to measure the openness and honesty that you and your partner both have. Where do you stand? And even ask your partner about that because you might think things are okay, but you come to learn your, your partner's hiding things or keeping things from you because they might be afraid to bring them up or they don't know if you can have those kind of conversations or if the love can withstand that. And the more you have these kinds of conversations, the better it'll feel to be in the relationship, but you also strengthen the relationship. As I was saying before, it becomes healthier and stronger that it can withstand the inevitable ups and downs that life from the outside and within your relationship will, will come your way. All right, that brings us to the end of today's show. Thank you to the callers and the listeners. And as always, to Ghazala here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dalak. We have a wonderful day. Mm-hmm.